Let's just take a deep breath together. Close your eyes, just take a deep breath. We acknowledge you in this place, Lord. We thank you that you're here, which means that the kingdom is here. And that you are breaking in tonight to redeem, to restore, to heal, to transform by your spirit and by your word, Lord. Would you come, Jesus? Would you come and step into our today with the reality of tomorrow that is our heart's great hope and longing that your kingdom would fully come and be realized here? And we just say, God, do it tonight, Jesus. Do it tonight, Holy Spirit. Do it tonight in this time, in this space. Let this be a thin space between heaven and earth, Lord, where we come into agreement, union with you and with your kingdom, God. We open up our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our lives, and say, come, Lord Jesus. Have your way in your house with your people tonight, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. He's just here. I love the presence of Jesus. So I just invite you to respond to his presence. I sometimes have people, they'll come up to me. They'll say, I, I don't know, I almost, I almost just fell on my knees and started screaming hallelujah in the middle of the message. And I said, why didn't you? I was scared. I said, well, that sounds like worship to me. <laughs> So I just want you to be free to respond to Jesus. Somehow he's really good at, at leading us. Whew, I gotta recover a little bit. Or maybe I don't. This is Romans chapter five, uh, verse, verse three through five. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. It says, and not only this, I'll give you a second. I heard some pages turning. Hallelujah. I'm an old-fashioned guy. I love the paper, sound of paper. Can I get an amen from all my, uh, my Gen Zers in the house? Come on, paper. 5-3. And not only this, but we also exult Say exult. We exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. I'm going to continue talking on these paradoxes, and tonight we're going to talk about suffering and joy, uh, which I think is perhaps the most, there are two topics that are glanced over often within the world of Christianity, but they're not really given devoted space to, I found. Like, how many people have been in the church and never heard a message on suffering? You're going to be able to lower your hand after tonight. Uh, you know, and, and so sometimes we know about these things, but we we, we treat them as if they're off topic, and I think off topics, kind of peripheral to the, the faith and the walking with Jesus, and then we get really surprised when life gets really hard, you know what I'm talking about? And then we don't know how to find joy, because we don't really talk about joy, and we just understand joy as like an emotion of happiness, and so I'm hoping that we're going to uh, get a little deeper, a more revelation that the Holy Spirit will bring us into an incarnational truth that to walk with him is to walk and to drink what Heidi Baker calls the cup of both suffering and joy. To follow Jesus, he gives us a chalice and he says, drink from it. And it's a cup of suffering and joy. And I don't think you can know his joy without the suffering and you won't know the suffering without the joy. 
His joy strengthens us. It is a, it is a joy that's more powerful than the worst of human suffering. And it, it, it strengthens us to be able to endure. It, it, it overwhelms even the worst of human suffering. I heard a story from Heidi a year ago. She has a message on YouTube. You can type it in called No Bargaining with God. And she's talking about the civil war that was breaking out between the tribal warfare within northern Mozambique. And she's talking about holding pastors who had just seen their wives and children martyred through beheading and they they they've made their way they've they through the middle of the night had to run from these terror cells that are attacking and killing and destroying burning their villages and she's holding these pastors and she's telling how she starts praying for these pastors and the holy spirit falls on them and they start laughing uncontrollably she said lord this is not appropriate she starts talking, she's like, but I realized that they were experiencing a joy that you have when you realize that though they can take everything from you, you will never take my Jesus. There is a joy in surrendering fully and being held by him that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. And we live in a very broken world that is full of suffering. And so to walk the walk of discipleship, to walk faithfully, we're going to know both of these things, okay? So I'm going to focus tonight on suffering, and particularly I feel that the Holy Spirit wants me to speak on the art of suffering well. Say suffering well. Who? that's like music to my ears. A people who can suffer well, well will overcome anything. If we learn how to suffer well, how to suffer with Jesus, how to suffer with hope, we can endure and overcome anything. And if you read the scriptures, there are quite an amazing amount of promises that will be inherited by those who overcome. Just read the book of Revelation for starts. If you want to be an overcomer, you got to learn how to suffer well. Can I get an amen from somebody? So I want to talk tonight about suffering well. Just to give a little honor before I do, I stole this all from watching my mom. She taught me how to suffer well. I heard this recently. I think it was Darren or maybe somebody else. Megan shared it with me. I don't know who said it, but the quote is that a good shepherd helps people learn how to die well. That's the role of pastoral ministry. And when I heard that, I was like, no wonder my mom's so good at this. My mom will help you die well. Pastor Justin, get around Pastor Justin, Pastor Tisha, they'll help you, they'll help you die well. They will. You get around a good shepherd, they'll disciple you to learn how to die. That's what my mom discipled me into, so I honor you, mom. I don't know where you are, somewhere in this room, but she knows how to suffer well. In the worst, in the darkest season of our family story, she pulled us aside, she sat us down, me, Riley, and Mason, I remember, she said, we're going to suffer well, and we're going to learn how to die well. I remember being so scared, but I was like, I trust you somehow. I was 17 or 18 years old. She's like, but we're going to suffer well. And we did. And God's a redeemer. So I want to build a framework for suffering tonight. And then I'm hoping that I can disciple you with uh, both that we're going to walk through this verse in Romans and then look at the life, the denial and the restoration of Peter, and then perhaps share a little bit of a, a couple of testimonies from my own life to build a framework and then a pathway for what it looks like to suffer well. And I want to infuse you with hope that the Holy Spirit would pour out hope into our hearts tonight. So the, the suffering, we have to understand suffering as a manifestation of the not yet. Say not yet. It's a manifestation of the not yet of the kingdom. Who's heard this phrase that the kingdom is now but not yet? Right? The kingdom of God, it's here, it's inaugurated, it is working, it is advancing every day on the earth. But it's also not yet. We're still in need. There's a day of the Lord coming when our Christ will return with judgment and in his holiness and he will make right what is still wrong in the world. That's, that's good news, by the way. He's going to restore shalom completely to everything that has been broken by sin. But we're not there yet. We're not yet. Yeah? Anybody watch the news recently? It's not yet. So suffering and pain, all the forms um, that we experience it in, it's a reminder that things are not the way they're meant to be. 
Who said that before? This is just not how it's supposed to be. Right? What do they start teaching you when you're a kid? Your parents are like, uh, I know it's not fair, but life's... No, life's not fair. Injustice is rampant. Horrible things are taking place every day. Life's not fair. It's not the way it's meant to be. And every time we suffer, it's actually meant to remind us of the not yet of the kingdom. It's supposed to awaken a sense of homesickness. That what we're longing for is our Christ to come. That's that Maranatha cry. Come, Lord. Come and make right what's still wrong. This is the desire of the church. This, you know, we're the ones that are living into the kingdom. We're saying, but your kingdom, come and make things right that aren't right. But in the in-between of the now and the not yet, there's suffering. There's not yet in our individual lives and our lives as a whole. So how do we suffer well? How do we steward this not yet? How do we actually find hope in the midst of the not yet that is the reality of our lives? It's not the ultimate reality, but it's the truth. It's the present reality, yeah? How do we find hope? How do we learn to suffer well? So we read it, Romans 5. We exult in tribulation because tribulation brings about proven character, proven character, hope. Hope doesn't disappoint because the Spirit of God is poured out into our hearts. Can we go on a little journey through this? This is a wild verse. Exult. Say exult. Paul tells us to exult in tribulation. Do you know what exult means? Let me hear a few things. Celebrate, rejoice. I looked it up. Here's the, here's like the, it's a triumphant elation. (laughs) Who has been triumphantly elated recently in a time of tribulation? Do I have any honest people in our church? Right? Who usually is whining and complaining before you get to exultation? Whoa, we got growth to go, amen. Come on, help us, Lord. Paul's saying to exult in tribulation. And why? Because suffering well brings about perseverance, which produces character and hope. We need to see what Paul sees. We need to think like Paul, yeah? Right, this is repentance. It's, it's, it's letting go of old ways of thinking to adopt a new way of thinking, which is the mind of Christ. We're actually letting go of fleshly, humanistic ways of thinking so that the Spirit can regenerate us to start processing life the way that God does. And when I read a verse like this, I'm like, wow, Paul was a little more sanctified than most of us. Because he didn't just preach it, he did it. Beaten, flogged in the Philippian jail. Rejoicing at the midnight hour. What are they thinking? That's what we need to be thinking. Perseverance. So we exult in tribulation because it brings about perseverance. This is what perseverance means. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. So we are to exult because tribulation, suffering, trial produces perseverance in us. Why do we need perseverance in our life with God? This is important. This, is, this point I'm about to make is the biggest divide between the persecuted church and the non-persecuted church. The persecuted church gets this. Life in the kingdom requires perseverance because we're not living in neutral territory. Every square inch, this is C.S. Lewis, every square inch of the cosmos is being contested. It's a battleground for authority. We're in a war, and those who pray and participate in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, must understand that Jesus' words were military That was Jesus saying, I declare war on everything that's not right in in the vision of shalom, according to creation. So sometimes we're surprised. We pray the Lord's prayer, and then we're surprised that hell breaks loose. What do you think you're praying? You are praying an offensive military prayer. Jesus is saying, I'm here from heaven to make all things new. 
He says, then come and follow me. This is why persistence, perseverance is required because when you're doing, when you're taking ground that's not neutral, there's a fight. There's a tussle. There's a wrestle. The, the word in Ephesians 6 when Paul's talking about our battle not being with flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly places. And he, he talks about the, the, the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. It's not like this massive double-edged sword. The sword that he's referring to is actually like a smaller sword. It was like more of like a dagger because Paul's the whole context is that we would be wrestling and we would need this sword in the wrestling that we're getting our jabs in as we are contending against the forces of darkness. Paul woke up, he knew he was not living in neutral territory. He was going to places where darkness had dominion and he was gonna bring light. This is why we need perseverance, somebody. We're in a war. The now and the not yet's not just theology. It's, it's the reality of a conflict that we are a part of participating in. And perseverance, this learning to, to continue to persist in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of not achieving immediate, say immediate, immediate, immediate success is what we learn in the, in the tension. We're such an immediate culture. We need perseverance, guys. We really do. There's been some things that I've been praying for for a decade and the Lord's like more now I realize he's like, you are so, you need to be so thankful that I'm patient. Because he's like, if I would have given that to you a decade ago, it would have destroyed you. Character is a work of perseverance. Okay, perseverance unto character. This is what character means. If you're taking notes, a distinctive mark or quality of a person. Right, so rejoice, exult, be so happy when you're in times of suffering because it's gonna give you an opportunity to persevere and do something hard. It's when the reality of the tension between the now and the not yet is manifesting in your life. This is your opportunity to dig down and to start pushing in, pushing in, pushing in, and it's gonna produce character in you. This is what Dallas Willard defines as the height of the character of Jesus. He says it's when spontaneous enemy love flows out of your heart. Meaning it's when people are wounding you, even intentionally trying to hurt you, and spontaneously love flows out of your heart towards them. That's the character of Jesus. That's when you know you look like him. Spontaneous enemy love. Woo! Woo! That's deep, you guys. Suffering has an incredible ability to expose that which is unholy and unredeemed within us. Suffering squeezes us. Say squeeze. Suffering squeezes us. And when you squeeze something, you find out what's inside of it. You squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. You squeeze a banana. I'm just joking. There's no such thing. You can't get banana juice. But you know what I'm saying? When you squeeze something, what comes out of it is what's inside of it. When you go through suffering, you're getting squeezed. And what comes out of you in suffering, I would argue, offers you the most unbiased insight to the nature of your character. Whoo, whoo, that hurts so good. That hurts so good. It's like, oh, I was so holy till I got married. Jesus is on the cross getting squeezed. And what comes out of him? Forgiveness. This pastoral moment with this guy getting crucified next to him. He's thinking about his mother. John, take care of her. He is getting squeezed. And love comes out of him. Peter, he's getting squeezed watching Jesus. Much lesser form of suffering. What do we see? Self-preservation, fear, cowardice. I don't know him. You got insight into Peter's character because he got squeezed by the suffering. If I'm being honest with y'all, 
When I'm struggling and getting squeezed, if you ask my wife, she would tell you this. I have a tendency that harshness will come out of me. Like I just get critchety. I get edgy. I get mean. I get rude. She doesn't like me when I'm sick. I did better the last few days. I was sick the last few days. Spontaneously better. Just flowed out of me. But I'm serious. It's not gentle. It's not kind. There's like this, mm, and I don't like it. It's unsanctified. Right? But it's the moments of squeezing in my life that reveal to me where the Spirit of God's still at work sanctifying me. Suffering is incredible. It gives incredible clarity. That's one of the greatest gifts that suffering offers is clarity. So what do we do when we don't like what comes out of us? What do we do when we get squeezed and what comes out of us isn't good? This is an important question because it's not if we're gonna suffer. The question that we should be asking is how are we going to suffer? Life is full of suffering. It's not if you're gonna suffer, it's how are you going to suffer when suffering shows up? We're promised this, by the way. Jesus says, you will suffer. You will go through trials. You will go through persecutions. Right there in the Beatitudes, two of them. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And it's like, and if you don't believe me, blessed are those that are insulted. And it's like, it's, it, you're gonna suffer. What do we do? There's two paths. There's like, you guys ever read Robert Frost? You know, the, the, I was on a path and the road diverged. There's, there's two paths I think we all face in suffering. That, that poem is prophetic for the, the path of suffering, which we are all walking on. There's a cup of joy, but there's a path of suffering. And you get to the fork in the road and there's two paths. One is the path of medication. The other path is lamentation. Are you going to choose the path of lamentation or are you going to choose the path of medication? Say medication. The path of medication brings immediate, say immediate, immediate, immediate numbing that disconnects us from our hearts and ultimately stagnates growth and leads to bitterness and a whole other world of things that for the sake of this, we don't need to get into. Well, the lamentation, say lamentation, lamentation takes us on a journey, say journey, not immediate, a journey of comfort. That leads to transformation. When suffering hits our life, what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose the path of lamentation or are we going to choose the path of medication? Pastor Darren, who preached last week, he, he did a little thing with our staff and he dropped this line on us. I thought it was so good. He said, the greatest threat to your ministry or your life in God is unprocessed wounds. And the reason that wounds stay unprocessed is because we choose the path of medication. If you choose the path of medication, you don't have to do the work of processing wounds because you numb out so you can't feel it anymore. But just because you can't feel it anymore doesn't mean it goes away. This old adage that time heals all wounds is farce. It is not true. Time just gives opportunity for, medicative, for medication to kick in. We need time, but time is not a healer. Jesus is a healer. Oh, come on. I'm preaching. The rest of you just not responsive yet. <laughs> Lamentation is God's way of processing wounds unto healing. This is what perseverance looks like often in times of suffering. It looks like I am choosing the path of lamentation, God. And what is lamentation? It is the art of learning to pray your pain to God. That's the best definition I could give you. It is praying our pain to God. It's not complaining about it. That may be a part of it. But it's, it's a holistic essence where I am going to bring my pain to you in prayer. And let this produce intimacy unto transformation. Proven character. This is so good. We're going to take an offering at the end of this. Just for me. I'm joking. I'm joking. Lamentation. Praying our pain. There's two parts. If you're taking notes, there's two aspects to lamentation. The first is protest. Say protest. Oh, this is uncomfortable. Protesting anger is the first part of lamentation. 
oh, this is going to make some of you uncomfortable, but it's going to liberate you tonight. Scripture actually authorizes us to bring our raw and unfiltered anger to God. Read Psalm 22. Read the book of Lamentations. Read, there's, I could give you more references if you want them. But God can handle our raw emotion. God can handle our pain. And what I find is that you're either going to bring it to God or it's going to spew out somebody else. So you might as well bring it to God. And sometimes I think we get so serious. It's like, you know, is, is me being angry with God's sin? If I say something I don't mean, is he's going to hold me to it? It's like, and it's like, it's like, do I hold what Naomi says to me when I don't do what she wants right now? It's like, no, she's 14 months old. When she screams with all her might because I won't give her my iPhone, am I going to hold it against her? It's like, no. Like, we, we forget sometimes that, like, God's really ancient of days. And we are really not ancient of days. In other words, God doesn't really get disillusioned with us because he doesn't have any illusions in the first place. He's not like, how dare you say that? It's like, I expect my child to cry and scream and throw fits sometimes. It's part of the, I, I, I allow for that on her maturity process. I'm sure when she's 16, I'll have a greater revelation for y'all. But God's fine with us. He, he's, he's, not, he's not intimidated. Uh, we are sanctioned to complain, bemoan, and even protest before the Lord. I mean it. He can handle it. Why have you forsaken me? Where were you? Where were you, mighty to save, when this happened? Why are things not going the way they're supposed to? Why have I believed you for two decades and this hasn't happened? Why did that die when you said you were going to resurrect it? it? We think we're doing a service when we stuff that and bring our churchy answers. Oh, you're good and you're never going to let me down. No, that's true. But God wants our full self to show up to the relationship. And if we'll only bring him the good and we're not going to bring him the real, how can we be intimate with him here? And it's kind of funny. Why would we ever hide anything? He already knows. He already knows. What we're really doing is we're hiding it from ourselves. Protest. Protest is the first part of lamentation. We have to, to exit. Sometimes I even think it's like a vomiting of anger because this is the thing. I, I don't know who said this. Maybe it was me, but I don't think so. But I often say this. I'll, I'll say this with Jackie sometimes because we're both strong personalities. But anger is a protector. Sadness is a connector. You don't really form bonds with people when you're angry. Anybody? He was like, you know, we had a real angry convo and just left feeling so connected. It was amazing. No, anger is a protector. It's a secondary emotion. It comes out to keep us safe. It's self-preserving. It's not even our authentic self. But this is the deal. It guards our authentic self from getting hurt. And if we just keep anger locked inside and we don't actually give it space to vent and exit, we're never going to get to the grief. Anger is a protector. Sadness is a connector. What Jesus really wants is the sadness because the Holy Spirit's name is comforter. He wants to come and actually be intimate with us in the sadness, but we can't give him the sadness if we can't give him the anger. One of the, the most defining moments of my life in God, I finally, after about two years of hell, where I just tried to keep a happy, happy Christian boy face on, I finally just flipped and I said, Lord, I'm so angry with you. I remember the day, I remember the moment, I remember the journal, I remember what I wrote. There was things I wrote that I regret. They were mean. I, I maybe hurt God's feelings. But they were honest. I was so mad. I was so mad. How could you? I finally got the courage to be that honest with the Lord. This is what I'm really feeling. And then a religious spirit came and just beat me up all day. You said that to God. 
how dare you? I literally was in turmoil. The next morning I woke up, I was going on this sunrise hike with this guy. And as I go on this hike, I have an encounter with the Lord, unlike any encounter I'd ever had, where his love met me and he healed me and he spoke to me. It was like he held me in his arms. I didn't even put it together for years later that I had all that anger that had my protest with the Lord, but it was bottled inside of me. And it was like God was just waiting for me to let that out so that he could come and meet me in the sadness and the grief and hold my little hurting heart. Anger's a protector, but God's not afraid of it. And this is the deal. If you don't pray it to God, it will spew out somewhere else. We think we're being so holy because we stuff it with the Lord and give him our nice churchy answers. But then we're a mess in relationship. God's like, what are you doing? Say, come to me. That's one of the things I love about David, the man after God's own heart. He went to God with everything. Protest. First part is protest. The second part, if you're taking notes, is processing grief. So the first part of lamentation is protesting anger. The second part is processing grief. Protest will lead to the processing of grief because sadness is the connector. Brendan Manning, this is one of my favorite quotes. He says, God is always present with our authentic self. Can someone grab me? Never mind. I got it. God is always present with our authentic self. Meaning that when we finally get into contact with what we're feeling, the grief, the sadness, the pain, the aching, the longing, whatever it is, we will find that he's there. Because he's longing to be intimate with us. And he is a good father. He's a comforter. He's a nurturer. He's a healer. He's more than a father, more than a mother. He's a healer. He's a redeemer. He's a good shepherd. He restores our soul. He leads us to still waters. He covers us in the shadow of his wings. He speaks to us. He makes us feel understood. He makes us feel known. He, he, he pulls us close. He weeps with us. When we do the work, when we, when we do the work of lamentation, he, he meets us there. And it's not always a healing encounter. Sometimes he just holds us. He says, I'm with you. Why don't you change it? I'm, just, I'm with you. Because it's intimacy. Jesus desires intimacy more than anything with us. And if you want a fast track, if you want the only hack I know to expedite intimacy with Jesus, it's to suffer with him. You see this in the natural. Guys that go to war together are lifelong brothers. There's something about when you suffer with someone that the most, because suffering gives that clarity. You give the most raw, honest offering and you walk in suffering. You, you, you get changed by that. Lament is a lost art in the church today. It has something to do, I think, with our cultural, you know, we don't like death. We don't like sadness. You know, we don't see dead bodies anymore. Like, we're so sanitary. Even at funerals, you don't see dead things. We don't like pain. We don't like talking about the guts. We just, we want it nice and happy, cosmetically superficial and beautiful. And so we've forgotten in the church what lament looks like. And I know this as a pastor. I know that lament is a forgotten art because of the amount of pain I see spewed just within the body of Christ. It's wild. It's wild how much suffering there is. And when you walk in the ministry for a number of years, you start to get the layer and you start seeing behind the scenes into people's lives that you love. You're like, oh my Lord, there's so much pain. And so much pain is not stewarded well. It's not. We don't have the tools. We didn't know. We didn't learn how. The unfortunate reality is that if we don't process our pain, if we don't lament, if we don't pray our pain to God, it will spill out in ways that are unproductive. It will spill out in ways that, that damage relationships. It will show up in ways that, that cause wounds to the people that we usually love the most. Hurting people hurt people. 
And right now we're living in the, like culturally, there's this, you know, it's popular to talk about church hurt. And I just want to speak to church hurt for a minute. I, I really want to validate that church hurt is real. Who's been hurt at church? If I had five hands, I'd raise them all. Who has been hurt in your own nuclear family? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. This, this is what's funny to me. If we've all been hurt in our own nuclear family, <laughs> and then we expect to show up at church and never get hurt, I'm like, what, what, what dope are we smoking? <laughs> like, it's like we walk in the doors out there and poof, everybody's healthy and loving all of a sudden. Oh, Jesus, help us. We got some crazy expectations sometime. But part of this is because we don't lament. We don't talk about pain. We act like you get saved and everything's cherry and roses and sunshine. Jesus saved me and I'm on an ever-progressive journey up the mountaintop of glory. Uh, everything in life that really matters costs a lot. And intimacy with Jesus is at the forefront of that. I want to validate that church hurt is real. Every single person in this room has church hurt. Just maybe take a moment, just look around. One of the things that unifies us, we all have pain from relationship within the body of Christ. If not at River House, you came to River House with it. And if you stay long enough, you'll have it at River House, I promise. Because everyone in here, we all have wounds. Everyone in here, we still are living in the reality of not yet. And the church isn't a utopia that says this is heaven. It's to be a prophetic community of people who persevere in suffering and actually pioneer a new hope, a living way that the kingdom's coming that points to the midst of the world. We're a part of the world. No, we have the same suffering here, but we also have the hope of glory breaking in as well. We have to recalibrate our expectations. We should expect that there's going to be pain in the community of God. I, I say that with, as realism, but we should also have a greater expectation. That hope, hope that Jesus is working, he's healing, he's working, you know. I'm just trying to be a pastor right now. Some of the pain in this room, I'm just going to speak to your hearts for a second. Some of you, it's pain because you, you, you want intimate relationships, friendships. You see other people that have them in this house and you feel on the outside and that's painful I can validate that some of you have pain in this room because you have intimate friendships and they've hurt you deeply and I can validate that some of you have pain because you are longing for like a mentor a spiritual father a spiritual mother you just can't seem to find one some of you have pain because you have one and they've hurt you you feel rejected by a spiritual father or spiritual mother. Some of you have pain because you've been stewarding promises for years, if not decades. And you watch other people stepping into things that you've contended for. Some of you have pain because you uh, have actually stepped into the promises and the call of God on your life. And it's way more challenging than you thought it was going to be. You feel lonely and you feel isolated. Some of you have pain because finances are really slim right now. Some of you have pain because you've been judged because your finances are abundant and you feel criticized for it. You feel isolated by it. Like there's pain. Some of you have pain because you've been slandered and criticized. Some of you have pain and you've been the one who has slandered or criticized. Some of you have pain because you've been judged. Some of you have pain because you have judged. It's just like there's pain. There's pain. Pain shows up in community. And why am I saying all of this? Oh, I wrote this down. Some of you are pain because you're single. And you long to be married. It's real. Some of you have pain because you're married. And marriage isn't what you thought it was going to be. And you're in a hard season. That's real. Like there's pain. And the question in all of the pain, and there's a million other pain points, is this all points to the not yet. And the question is, what do you do with this suffering? 
What do you do with it? Do you medicate it or do you lament? Lamentation will lead you to the comforter. Complaining and coping will lead you to disillusionment and despair. Which, if we're speaking to the church specifically, this, this shows up in two ways. You're either going to leave the church entirely. You have this whole deconstructionist movement, which I think the deconstruction movement at the heart, it's people that aren't processing their pain with God. They're going and processing their pain with everybody else. And we formed this thing we're calling church deconstruction, where really what it's being fueled by is an open wound that hasn't been healed. Because they never knew that they could learn how to lament and be restored by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We almost have this thing that like when we get, we get hurt in community, but we get healed in community. And I just want to speak to those, maybe you listen on the podcast, you're not even part of a local church. You're not going to get healed from your church pain outside of the church deconstructing. You're going to get healed of your pain in community. So it's just how the Lord works, right? So you're either going to get disillusionment, you're going to leave the church, or you're just going to go find another utopian perfect church out there where there'll be no pain. I'm serious, and it's just another round, you know, another time around the mountain. Like, I'm going to go, I, you know, I, I honestly, my, one of my least favorite conversations is when people tell me how bad their last church was as they come into this church. But this church is it, man. Pastor Jordan, this is the real thing. And I'm like, oh, just wait. <laughs> it's not unicorns in this congregation. It's people. I'm like, pain's going to show up because this is the pattern of every human relationship. Elation, despair, disillusionment. And it's at the point of disillusionment you get to make a powerful decision to either grow through learning how to suffer well or to abandon ship and go where the green pastures are over there and you'll find that the same thing's waiting for you because you can't escape your bags. They fly with you. So my heart for all of you is that you'd open the bag of pain that you're carrying and learn to lament and let the Holy Spirit heal you. Peter's wounds had to be lamented. He got squeezed. He denies Jesus. And then he had to go away and weep bitter tears. Say bitter. Lamentation often starts with bitter tears. His character didn't show up. He had to bitterly weep. But then Jesus, in his loving kindness, Peter denies. His wounds show up. His selfishness shows up. He laments. And then Jesus comes right to the place, his tender wound, to restore him. Three denials, three questions. Do you love? Do you love me? Do you love me? See, we think of comfort as super soft. It is nurturing, but it's confrontational. It goes right to the place of wounding. Do you love me? And at the third question, Peter starts weeping. But I would argue they're not the same bitter tears. They're healing tears. And I think that tears are how we measure our character transformation process. God has to take us from bitter tears to healing tears. Because when healing tears flow, you know you've been transformed. That's the power of comfort. Medication will take the pain away. But lamentation will lead you to the comforter. And he will turn your bitter tears into healing tears of redemption. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Unprocessed wounds are our greatest threats to our life in God. But comforted wounds are portals of hope where the kingdom comes. Now watch this. Proven character unto hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So Peter's wounds are revealed through the denial. He laments his pain. Jesus comes to him with comfort because Jesus will always come to us in our suffering with comfort. He comes to Peter and comforts him. He restores him. But then 50 days later, the Holy Spirit gets poured out into Peter's heart. And check this out. Peter, 
his wound, his, his, his cowardice, his self-preservation, his denial of Jesus. He's now, as the Holy Spirit's poured out upon him, preaching to a bunch of people that rejected and crucified Jesus. The one who denied Jesus is now preaching to people who denied Jesus and bringing them into salvation. What's happening here? Peter's internal transformation through comfort is now manifesting through his life. The kingdom is coming. The place of his woundedness. I want you to just get as honest with Jesus as you know how to get. Just honesty. He just loves honesty. Just tell him. Tell him what's really going on. Lament. Protest. Just get it out. And if you get to the grief, just weep. You don't need to understand the tears. There is a whole sect of of rabbinic thought in Judaism that they said that the perfect prayer was the prayer of tears. So if you're crying, just let your tears communicate to Jesus. Just give him those tears. It says in the Psalms that he actually holds our tears in a bottle. It's as if he stores them up and keeps record of every tear offered to him. And he promises in the light of them all, I will make all things new. I will make all things new. Let Jesus just hold you. Let, it, let him wrap his arms around you as you just weep before him. Your tears are precious. They're holy. Your grief is sacred to God. It says he's near to the brokenhearted. Some of you need to hear that what the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good. The suffering that you have walked through, he's gonna redeem it. He's gonna fill you with hope. You're gonna see the now of the kingdom in the very tragedy of the not yet that you've experienced. Lord, we thank you that your kingdom is coming tonight through tears, through comfort, through being held. I just have a sense that there's some of you, you're still seated, that you, you, you need to respond. And I don't know why, you just kind of feel like that thing in you that's just that prompting. You know, it's not a thing, it's the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit's just prompting you, there's just, there is no shame. This is, there's no judgment. I just want, just want to invite you to respond. I feel like there's someone in here, you've almost said before, like, my grief is just too big. It's too great. I just feel like the Lord wants you to know, daughter, your grief is not too great for me. I can handle your grief. I can handle the pain of your story. I just feel like the Lord's just reaching his hand out to you and he's just saying, daughter, give it to me. Let me, let me hold you tonight. Let me meet you in this grief. You know, there's a measure of repentance for some of you that if you've medicated, if you've been on the path of medication, I feel like there's an act for some in this room to actually come and, and put the medication upon the altar. For some of you, it might be social media, it might be drugs, it might be sex, it might be little compromises. But whatever they are, it's like there's that holiness of the Lord to just respond and, and just say, I'm done. I'm done choosing the path of medication, but I choose the path of lamentation tonight. And I feel like it's, it's some of you, it's like a young man. Maybe you've already responded, but if that's you, I just feel like the Lord, like he, he's, he, there, there's a marking, there's a, it's like you're, you're saying no to this path and you're stepping onto another one. And I feel like there's a, there's a breakthrough. And I feel like some of you, it's like a, there's, there's sexual addiction that's breaking tonight in this room. It's like, it's like your, your obedience to repent, the Lord's holiness is touching a place of, of sexual addiction that's been a pattern of medication. And if that's you, I just, I just invite you to yield to the Lord and say, I'm gonna get off the medication and I'm ready to get into lamentation. I'm ready to, to, to pray my pain. 
And I want to invite you, if that's you, if you've been in patterns of addiction, sexual addiction or, or alcohol addiction or, or any addiction, I want to invite you to pray that compromise to the Lord. Don't like to actually offer it. To, to come and expose just the pain that you carry and even the shame that you carry and just say, Lord, here it is. Like to just bring it before him and to just let him meet you. That's the beautiful thing of grace. You don't have to get cleaned up for God to meet you. He actually meets you in your mess. You just have to invite him into the mess. And some of you, I just feel like there's still someone that's sitting out there. You've almost been like, man, I don't even know how to get started. I'm so messy. And I feel like Jesus is like just a simple act of obedience. I want you to come as an act that says, Jesus, I invite you into my mess. That's all he needs. Just needs an open door. Just needs an open door. Lord, I thank you that you are stepping into mess with comfort tonight. You are stepping into mess, Lord, with holiness tonight. Just say, come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. there's someone in here you you look at what I'm seeing is like you look at your your stock portfolio multiple times a day and uh, it's like it's been a comforting mechanism in you like control around finances and your future and you almost like have a paranoia around like investment portfolios and it's just consumed so much space, like so much mental real estate. And I just feel like the Lord's maybe been working in this area, but I just feel like there's something for you tonight of freedom. There's like a liberation that the Lord wants to, to bring to you in the area, that specific area where it's almost as if money is in financial dreams and goals that have been a a comforter in your life. And so I just, I just bless you. I just sense the Lord's love for you, that he's wanting to uh, really restore your soul from the damage and the pain that you've experienced in the, in the area of finances in your life. It's almost like a rich young ruler thing. Hey, if that's you and you want to just be courage, Courageous. I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. It's like there's someone, you're like a rich young ruler tonight where money's been like a drug and you want freedom. And I just feel like the Lord has, he wants to surprise you with kindness. He wants to surprise you with love. He wants to surprise you with hope. So I'm just gonna hang out up here and we're gonna pray and you can find me at some point before you leave. I don't wanna expose you. But we're just gonna keep ministering and sense that the Holy Spirit's doing something here. So I'm gonna ask Becca to keep playing and you're welcome to just stay before the Lord. Don't, don't rush a moment like this.